Oh, Jesus, we bow before you. We bow before you. Living word. Holy Jesus, holy lamb. Born to die. Risen with healing in your wings. We behold you as you are today. Glorious in majesty, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Who is like you, O Lord our God? We open our hearts to your word. We open our hearts to your grace. And we surrender in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I wasn't going to start here, but I guess I am. <laughs> guess I am now. I was raised in the Methodist church. And I grew up hungry for God, and my parents didn't know God from that speaker. My mother was Christian scientist, and my father was Methodist, so you can imagine what that was like. The most important thing to remember about Christian science is that it's neither Christian nor science. And Methodists were at that time, and, you know, it kind of depended on whatever pastor was in the pulpit. So we went from everywhere from I believe who Jesus is to preaching out of Newsweek when I was growing up. But I used to sneak out of, there's not enough Kleenex today. I used to sneak out of Sunday school when I was about three years old because there was a piano in the sanctuary. See, I'm adopted. Nobody in my family plays anything except the TV on off switch and I was the remote control anybody remember when you were the remote control go change the channel yeah and I'd sneak out of Sunday school and go down and climb up on the piano that was back before you know you had all the little tags on you and you had to identify who you were and I'd crawl up on the piano and I'd try to play the keys, you see, because my natural mother's family were all musicians. But I used to stand in church when they'd sing the hymns, and I'd just cry. And I'd cry. My mother thought I'd lost my mind. Well, I'm 67, and I'm still crying. <laughs> yes, Lord, we greet you, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. And we just sang, we see you as you are. And that's what Holy Spirit is inviting us to do today, is to see Jesus as he truly is. And to that end, he will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. 
and open our eyes to things we never dreamed of. So don't buckle your seatbelt. Just fly out of the roller coaster. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I cry. I've been crying all week. Why, Bertie? Why? Well, because I, I just fell in love with Jesus for the 97 billionth time again. And he just shows up in my living room every morning and we worship and he appears and he speaks. And that's what he wants to do for us this morning. As for me, I baptize you in water for repentance, John the Baptist said. And for those of you taking notes, there's going to be a bunch of scriptures. So don't try to, if you've got a paper Bible, don't worry about flipping there. Just write down the references. As for me, I baptize you in water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you in Holy Spirit and fire. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you'll notice I took out the... English puts the in. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, except the Greek doesn't put it in there. Because holy is his name. Yes. And I don't say the Martha. Although every now and then I do want to say the Dave. You know, just every now and then, right? Matthew 3.11. And then our scripture we are really doing, we've done several weeks, and this scripture is always in the middle of it. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Amen. That he may abide with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Check mark, Martha. Truth. A plus. That he may abide with you forever, whom the world cannot. Isn't that a strong word for God to use? The world cannot receive him, and it doesn't know him, doesn't see him either. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. John 14, 16 through 17, in our jumping off place today, Luke 9, 29, and while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. Here we go. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Anybody ever had to deal with that one? Besides me, yes. Isaiah 55. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Just a little bit. I mean, it doesn't take much to be higher than my thoughts because I'm only five foot two when I stretch. So it doesn't take a, you know, I'm the lady that stops you. You know, okay, we are the church of the tall people. Have y'all figured that out yet? We have so many tall people here. I'm the woman that stops you in H-E-B and says, please, sir, can you reach that thing up on the very top shelf? You know, I mean, yeah, I'm the one that you're so kind to help. But God's thoughts are higher. And you know, no matter how high our thoughts are, no matter how lofty we think our spiritual thoughts are, of course, no one's ever struggled with this except me, I'm sure. The reality is our intention may be inspired, but God's thoughts are 
higher. And we insist with, with passion, really, a great deal of passion, if you don't believe me, just listen to us talk, that we really do love God's ways more than we love our ways, right? I mean, is anybody in here going to say, you know, I know we're in church, but, you know, I really don't like God's ways very much. Well, we don't have enough um, courage, comma, stupidity, comma, pick a word, to say it that way, but our actions and our lives decree that that is kind of how we think. We really do like our ways better because we're more comfortable in them. That is the truth. Lord Jesus, help us to be honest. Nowhere is this more obvious than when God decides he's going to manifest himself. When Jesus shows up, it just really rocks the boat, right? I mean, come on, from Peter. Remember Peter? Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. And what's Peter's first spiritual, deeply committed response? Oh, no, 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 not you. This isn't going to happen to you. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. How about Paul? Paul was so anointed, he was casting the vote against the believers to throw them to the lions. Because Paul was sure his ways were higher than God's, right? And so we can be really, really convinced and be totally wrong, right? So how long will we ask God to conform to our image? Or when will we begin to allow him to turn us into his image? Yes. So if I struggle with mere surrender, what's going to happen when Jesus calls me to sacrifice? May I say that again? That's worth a repeat. If I struggle with surrender, then what am I going to do when the Lord calls me to sacrifice? What has to take place in me for real transformation to happen? So I want to start with Luke chapter 9. What does that have to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Everything. Here's what happened. After these things, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, and they go up to the top of the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing was white and gleaming. Now, Matthew puts it this way. He was transfigured before them. And for those of you who are word geeks, besides, okay, I'm a word geek. Who are word geeks, Doris? Yeah, John. Yeah, Megan. Yeah, word geeks. Word geeks. Yep, yep, yep. Look it up in Strong's in Matthew, okay? Matthew 17, 2 through 3. He was transfigured before them. The word's only used like three times in the whole New Testament, and it's metamorphosis. Is that cool? He was metamorphosed. Wow. Before them. Just a little sidebar. We're not going there. Okay. And his garments became white as light. You know, sometimes to understand how something happens, the first step we need to do is understand how it doesn't happen. Thomas Edison had 5,000 failed experiments to invent the light bulb. And people said, well, aren't you discouraged? He said, no, I've got 5,000 ways. I know it does not work. Sometimes it's really important to understand how things don't happen. You see, as Jesus prayed, he was changed. But the disciples were asleep. 
In fact, Matthew says in good old King James, they were heavy with sleep. Yeah, kind of like we are sometimes sitting in some... Okay, I confess, I have an art history minor from a thousand years ago, and I was so stupid back then because, you know, young people sometimes, I know none of these young people, but when I was young, I was actually kind of stupid, and I signed up for this art history class right after lunch. You know how they teach an art history class? Back then we had slides because there were no such things as computers. Now we do them on overheads. And you know what? The room was dark. Yeah, I was heavy with sleep. You know, the lights all come on at the end and there were all those slides that went by with all these great masters because someone was standing up front going, and now in 1500, Leonardo da Vinci did. Da, 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 da. It was deafening in there. Why? I was heavy with sleep. Now, just think about it. Jesus is on the mountain. He's being transfigured. And these guys are so spiritual, they're asleep on him. Sound familiar? Ever been there? Anybody ever fallen asleep, reading, praying? declaring, decreeing, being spiritual. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, we can't fuss at them too much. We're just like them. And so Peter, being full of his, spiritu of his own spirituality, don't you love these guys? Peter is full of his own spirituality, so what's the first thing he thinks he has to do? Say something. Oh my gosh, Lord, this is wonderful. We're here. Let's build three tents. And Jesus is going, I'm not so much. Not going to share my glory with anyone. And then a cloud comes over them and they're overwhelmed. What Peter said seemed religiously right and he was completely spiritually wrong. And oftentimes our religious rightness gets us in trouble because as we talked about last week, it doesn't matter if we're right. It matters if we're surrendered. Amen. Now, what actually happened to Jesus? This is so important. Listen closely. He that hath an ear, let him hear. What happened to Jesus? He was changed. His countenance became different. And I know you want to know what the Greek word is, don't you? Yeah, the Greek word is that other word, heteros. He became different, heteros. What do you mean? Well, it literally means to be something else, to be another of two different things. It's different, right? A dog's not an elephant, well, my dog sometimes thinks he's an elephant because he is kind of big and he tries to throw his weight around. But Jesus became different. He became different from them. How was he different? His face shone like the sun. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah, I heard that in Revelation 1. His face shone like the sun. John fell at his feet as though dead. And guess what? It says that his clothing began to became so white, the Greek says it flashed like lightning. Now, ladies, that's a far cry from the bling that we think we like, 
right? I mean, we are talking, his clothing even was flashing like lightning. This is the glorified Jesus, and they got to see him face to face. So overwhelming, they did exactly what John did, fell on their faces, terrified, the cloud of God's glory, wow, envelops them. And God himself, how many of you have said, oh, I want to hear the audible voice of God? Yeah. God, Father himself, says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Whoa. That's some prayer time, huh? Yeah, that is some prayer time. So just what happened to Peter, James, and John after they had this face-to-face encounter with the glory of God? Absolutely nothing. Oh, I wish you could see your faces right now. It's great. That's kind of exactly what I looked at, God-like, when he said nothing. Nothing happened to them. How do we know nothing really happened to them? Well, what really happened is that they came down from the mountain and did Jesus send Peter, James, and John to go cast the demon out of the kid? No. They were still going to argue over who was greatest. Hello? Come on. Mom was still going to hit up Jesus and say, hey, can my two sons, James and John, sit on either side of you when you're in your kingdom and in your glory? And James and John were going to be right there with her saying, yeah, 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 we want to sit on either side. How about this one? Lord, the Samaritans don't want us to go through. Should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? And Jesus says, I say, you don't know what spirit you are of. What actually happened to them? They came down from the mountain with a story of what was. They did not come down from the mountain carrying the glory of God in them because Jesus was the only one on the mountain that was transfigured. So this is what we do. We sing, show us your glory. There's a whole lot more than show us your glory. We can see the glory of God. We can be enveloped in the glory of God. We can be overwhelmed with the glory of God and not bear inside the glory of God. And all we have is a testimony of what was. You see, only Jesus was transformed, made different, made heteros. Now, how many of y'all were here? Remember how we talked about Holy Spirit being allos, the same? We'll review that in a minute. This is a different word. He became different from his humanity and the glory of God that he lived in with the Father before the world was ever created was manifested in his human body. That's called transfiguration. That's the glory of God. The disciples were in the glory, but the glory was not in them. Rewind. The disciples were in the glory. But the glory, the true manifested glory of God 
was not in them. Now, the reality is the glory could not be in them because Jesus was not yet crucified and risen from the dead. But even more so, what did we learn? We learned the glory could not be in them because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Yes. So Jesus died and rose again, but they still weren't filled with the Holy Spirit until Jesus was glorified. And we'll get to that in a second. So does that just leave us out here dangling, wishing, longing, always talking about what happened back then? I was saved 42 years ago. That's wonderful. What is Jesus doing, doing for you in the last 42 days? The last 42 minutes. We don't even have to look that far. How about the last 42 seconds? I mean, was, did Holy Spirit manifest himself here this morning or what? The beauty of the glory of the presence of God. Yes. So... What did Jesus say? I will give you another. The Father's going to give you another comforter. And that word for other is allos. And we talked about that. He's just like me. He's another one, but he's just like me. It would be like if Martha had a twin sister. Sorry, it's so dangerous to sit up front. And besides, see, I know her so well, I know it's safe to pick on her. You know, she won't be mad. She'll just talk to me later if I overstep a line. Okay, in love, in love, in love. Right, so I, have you ever known two twins that you couldn't tell apart? Yeah, except if you got to know them really well. You know why? Because their personality inside is usually different. Or there's some little quirk. Or there's some little, you know, like all of mine, stray hair that sticks up like Dennis the Menace, you know. I mean, there's always something. But that's not true with Holy Spirit and Jesus. Holy Spirit is allos. He is thoroughly, completely, totally Jesus's other self. And he manifests himself here, his divine character. So, when Jesus says he's going to send another comforter, then we know that what's happening is the glory of God is coming down, manifesting the glorified Jesus, just like we sang, remember? We want to see you as you really are. Well, he's not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, dragging a cross. I'm sorry. His face is shining like the sun. His clothing is gleaming like lightning. And he has the entire universe at his feet. He truly is the king. The angels fall on their faces. And if we're smart, we'll be on our faces too. Why? Because he is the glorified Jesus. So when Holy Spirit comes down, he wants to fill us with the glory of God. Way beyond our comprehension, way beyond what we think we know. Now, Jesus gathers them all together and he says, don't go anywhere. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me, because you're going to be baptized in Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why was that so important? And we touched on a little bit before, but I want to say it this way. 
Remember over in John 20, it says he breathed on them and said, receive Holy Spirit. And we talked about the puff of air, right? God breathed into Adam. He became a living soul. You see, the reason it's so important, what's the difference then? Why do we need to wait? We already have Holy Spirit breathed into us. So what is this baptism thing and why is that important? Well, it's important because breathing brings life. Baptism brings death. Breathing brings life. When you're born, you don't have constant, constant, oh yeah, I was born again today. Oh, and I was born again yesterday. It's not a, it's something that happened. I can talk about what happened to me. And so people get stuck in their walk with Jesus and they talk about what happened past tense. But you know, when I'm talking to the bus driver or I'm talking to the lady at HEB, she doesn't need to know what Jesus did for me 25 years ago. She needs a living Jesus right there, right now, breathing, willing to love her, willing to walk into her life, willing to heal her, willing to deliver her, willing to be the glorified son of God to her because her need isn't back there, it's right here. Even if it is in the middle of HEB. Yeah. Baptism brings death. And, you know, we love the symbolism of baptism. Now, see, I was raised Methodist, so I was sprinkled. Oh, I know people that say, oh, my gosh, well, you weren't really saved. I was saved long before I knew any of that stuff. I didn't know enough to be saved. In fact, I asked my father one time, I said, Dad, what is saved? Because, I mean, come on, Methodist church, they don't preach about saved. And my dad, being the deep spiritual human being he was, said, I'll pick on Megan. Oh, honey, you don't need to worry about that. That's what the Baptists do. Well, okay. I guess that's what the Baptists saved is what the Baptists do. Well, then I started reading the Bible. Oh, my gosh. And Jesus himself said, if any man believes in me, he shall what? Go in and out. He shall be saved, sozoed, and go in and out and find pasture. Oh, my gosh, it wasn't just the Baptist. It had to do with believers. Ah. So we like this baptism thing. After all, physical baptism isn't too awful. I mean, unless you're scared of water, right? You just... Get in there for a few seconds and you, and you hold your breath and you pinch your nose and you go under and you pop right back up and it's pretty painless. Whew. All right, I'm baptized now, praise the Lord. <gasps> Except that Paul and Jesus had something really different in mind and so did John the Baptist. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. So why do we have to be baptized in Holy Spirit if he already lives in us? Because God is absolutely, totally, a hundred percent, dare I say a billion percent determined that we will not be like Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, fascinated with what happened to somebody else. He will not have that. That is not his desire for us. 
He wants us walking in the living reality of his manifested glory right now. Now, John Baptist said that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. And why is that? You know what? That word must be so important. They created a whole denomination out of it, right? I know you want to know what it really means, don't you? Yeah, for the three word geeks in here, who wants to know what it really means? Well, what it really means, Strong's G0907, Doris. Okay, anyway, what it really means is to make whelmed. Huh? I know, we don't ever use the word whelmed. Sounds kind of funny. Sounds a little familiar. Yeah, it is a little familiar. You know why? Because we usually say it in conjunction with over. Like overwhelmed. Like how a lot of us have felt this last week. Oh, I'm sorry. Nobody in here, surely. Yeah. Overwhelmed. That's what the word means. To be baptized means that you're whelmed. Oh, my. Oh, dear. It gets better. Are you ready? It gets better. Gee, I can hardly wait. It's this death thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you're not dead, you can't get resurrected, so let's hurry up and get dead. Or as Graham Cook says, don't play dead, stay dead, for heaven's sakes. Just be dead, not kind of dead, dead dead, all dead. Oh, my gosh, but I don't want to be dead. But if you're not dead, you can't be raised. And Paul said, I am crucified. And then he went on and he said, I am buried. I am resurrected. I am raised. I am seated. And there's a whole message on all of that. So the word also means to submerge like a sunk vessel. Boy, shall I just stop and give the altar call? To be submerged like a sunk vessel. How long has the Titanic been down there? Oh, yeah, 1912, 13? Yeah, quite a while. It sunk, sunk, sunk. The only way you can find that old dilapidated vessel is to plow through all of that water. Oh, listen to us. What does God want to do? What does God want to do? He wants you to be so submerged, so sunk, so dead to yourself that the only way they can find you is to go through layer after layer after layer after layer of the glory of God. Be drenched with the Holy Spirit. Let him be flowing out of you. And how many times do we know that sunken vessels hide great treasure. Sunken vessels hide great treasure. You don't find great treasure in those crazy oil barges floating around off of Galveston. Where do you find treasure? Oh yeah, in sunken vessels. You can't be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. What is Romans 6, 4? Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Well, God wants that glory 
that unspeakable, indescribable, flashing, amazing, loving, kind, breathtaking. I, hello, we're going to go on for eternity talking about him. Hello. Glory. He wants that living in you constantly, consistently, every day. It doesn't mean you always feel wonderful. Jesus had the glory of God in him when he was hanging on the cross. He did not feel wonderful, and he was in the perfect middle of God's will, right? So get rid of this, we got to feel wonderful or it's not the glory of God. No, 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 no. Sometimes we feel horrible and we're full of the glory of Almighty God. We can't be raised if we refuse to die. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred on the day of Pentecost, and when it was fully come, they're all sitting there, and it says, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire, and a great rushing, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Yeah, the Greek actually means a hurricane. The sound of a hurricane came through the house Makes me wonder if it kind of blew the windows out or something. Fire sat on them, and they all began to speak with other tongues and other, or other languages as the Spirit gave them the words. What that literally means is that the Spirit of God was giving them words to declare and speak forth. What actually happened? The glorified Jesus sent his other self from heaven to manifest his glory in those people. Peter, James, and John finally had their own Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, and that's what he wants to do for us. Now, should we be surprised that he did something this crazy, wild, difficult to understand, way beyond our thought process? No. Not at all. I mean, come on, this is a God that looks at the Red Sea and says, yeah, I want a road through there. Hello? It's like the little kid who said one time, came home from Sunday school and said, Mom and Dad, guess what? They talked about Moses and the Red Sea today. And she said, well, what happened? And the little kid says, well, first of all, they surveyed the situation. They figured out how far across the sea it was. And then they called in all the construction, and they called in the tanks and the cranes, and they called in all of this stuff, and then they built this huge bridge, and it went across the sea, and all the Israelites got over. And then after they were over, they went back, and they blew up the bridge when Pharaoh was on it, and Pharaoh drowned. Well, Mom's looking at the kid going, uh, that's not what they told you, is it? And he said, oh, Mom, if I told you what they said, you'd never believe it. <laughs> we are very much the same way. God says what he says. He does what he does. And we start explaining to him why he didn't really mean what he said. Jesus had already told them in Mark 16, you're going to speak with the new tongues. You're going to lay hands on the sick. You are going to raise the dead. In fact, in one place, he even says, freely you have received, freely give. Paul's automatic question to the men in Ephesus was, did you receive Holy Spirit when you believed? Acts 19, 17. I love their answer. Uh, we never heard there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? 
They didn't know. Isn't that great? Would to God we were that honest. We would have said, oh, yes, 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 I, yes, God's revealed everything to me. <laughs> and God's going, <clears throat> <clears throat> and our nose is growing. <clears throat> Thank you, Pinocchio. I love their answer. They were honest. Paul says, well, what baptism were you baptized in? And he said, John's baptism. Oh, yeah, that's back with the water, you know. Hold your breath, pinch your nose, go under for a second. That was easy. It was all easy. It was good. So Paul talked to them about Jesus. They were baptized in water in the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah, in the name of Jesus. The glorified Jesus. And then Paul laid hands on them and they were baptized with Holy Spirit. They were submerged with the goal of don't let that old self come back up. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied, but it wasn't just for the Jews. What happened with Cornelius? Can you imagine you're a good Jew? And God gets a hold of you on a roof and says, the Gentiles want you to go and preach to them. I'm sending three people, go with them. I mean, they, they didn't even, I mean, I mean, it's just like, I won't go into Leslie's house. I mean, I might be defiled. Y'all are supposed to laugh. Hello. That was how Peter was. Of course, I come into your house. I've been to your house. Okay. But that's how Peter was. You couldn't go into a Gentile's house. You couldn't talk to somebody after all. Kind of like how we act sometimes. Oh, my gosh, their sin might jump off on me and I'll be defiled. Since when was darkness greater than light? Okay, moving right along. I'm meddling. While Peter is preaching... Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. The word is logos. They were listening to the logos. And it says the Jewish believers were amazed. Who wants to know? Yeah, what does the word really mean? They lost their mind. Isn't that great? Oh my gosh, God did something to those Gentiles. And the Greek word means they were beside themselves. They lost their mind. It literally, are you ready? They're out of their wits. For me, because I'm a doctor, they're diagnosable. Oh yeah, they were diagnosable. What? Who was diagnosable? Not the Gentiles who were sitting there praising God in tongues and prophesying and worshiping Jesus. No, no, no. They weren't the crazy ones. The crazy ones were the believers over here going, well, I don't know. I've never seen God do it that way before. And the Bible says they were out of their minds because they didn't know what to do with what God had done. Isn't that awesome? Come on. How could the Holy Spirit do that? Peter hadn't even given an altar call. We hadn't sung all the right worship songs. We hadn't done things right. We hadn't taken an offering. And we just hadn't done everything right. Praise the Lord. Apparently, Holy Spirit wasn't going to wait for Peter to do it right. 
And he found hearts that were open, and he just drenched them. And then Peter said, well, we can't refuse water for these to be baptized who have received Holy Spirit the way we did. Well, how can I refuse water for these guys when they've already been baptized in fire? Hello? So that's kind of a moot point. So they were all submerged. Now, this is really important. Are we saying that believers who have not had this particular experience do not have Holy Spirit in them? Absolutely not. Thank you. One brave soul. Martha's always the brave soul. She'll answer me. Thank you, Jesus. Of course not. We've already established Holy Spirit was in them. Why? He breathed on them. They received Holy Spirit. But Jesus, who we say is our Lord, told the original disciples to wait until they were submerged in the manifestation of his glorified self. So, why did God do it this way? I mean, I'm sorry, I wrote this down. I thought, do I have the courage to say that? I thought, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, what can y'all do? Well, the worst thing that can happen is you just don't invite me back. Okay, well, you know, hey, wouldn't be the first time. Why did God even put this tongues thing in the Bible? I mean, can't we just, like, work around it, move around it, go do something else, talk about something else, really? I mean, sure, sure you can. And while we're at it, we need to ignore, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me also because it's like, it's, you know, it's like all the kids that read about obey your parents in the Lord and say, can we, like, rip that page out? Come on, aren't there times you read stuff in the Bible and you think, can I get rid of this page? Well, the kids that want to do that, you know, like kind of take out the, take out the obey your parents, all that stuff, you know, there's a problem. That's Ephesians 5. You know what the problem is? When you rip that page out, you know what's on the other side of the page? Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God. You just threw away your armor because you wanted to get rid of obeying your parents. And literally, when I was a teenager... It literally was on the other side of the page, and that's where I came up with that illustration. If you throw out Ephesians 5, you're going to throw out the armor of God. We're not going to do very good without the armor of God, right? Well, why did God do it this way? Well, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Isaiah 55, a mere 700 years before Jesus, not a problem. (sighs) Do you remember how we used to roll our eyes at our parents when they would say things like, (laughs) yeah, Kelly, just like that. Remember how you used to roll your eyes at your, wait, 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 come here. You, yeah, yeah, got a rag on you. Come on, come on, come on. Okay. Okay. This is the illustration. How you roll your eyes at your parents. How'd she do? Right? Do it over here where they go. Yeah. They're... Hold on. Hold on. No, I was laughing because when you said that, I'm like, I didn't roll my eyes at my parents. No, you just did it when they weren't looking. When they weren't looking. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now you can sit down. Okay. Do you remember ever hearing this phrase? Because I'm your mother and I said so. Oh, yeah. Come on. Anybody ever heard that? How about because, yeah, thank you. See? Lisa's honest. How about this one? Because I'm your father and I said so. 
You know, God could have done that with every single revelation he's ever given us. Because I'm your father, because he is the father of spirits, and you wouldn't even be sitting here, and I wouldn't be sitting here if the sovereignty of God had not ordained we would be here. He has every right in the world to say, well, because I'm your father, and I said so. What keeps him? Why doesn't he do that? Well, because he's so much nicer than we are. He's full of love and grace. And he even loves our questions. Now, he's not real into arrogant, full of pride questions that just want to prove that we're right. He's not good with arrogant, whining attitudes. Any parents in here like arrogant, whining attitudes from your kids? Multiply that by about a billion throughout eternity, and that's how God feels about us when we go, I don't understand. Yeah, you don't say it like that to him. You just think it. That's worse. That's so hypocritical. Come on. Can we have a little honesty? I don't get it. Yeah. The Lord loves honesty. Well, he doesn't do it that way. Rather, he says, well, let's teach. But remember, he dwells in the high and holy place with him that is of a humble and a contrite heart. So let's look at the avenue of language. And we're going to go about 10 more minutes. I know you, none of us in here are going to starve to death or fall out of our chair. Because there are places that people are really hungry. Yeah. How do your children learn language? Think about it. I mean, the second they're born, do you take them and haul them down to the school and sit them in a chair and say, I want you to learn all the grammatical ins and outs of English? Really? Of course not. How many of you start talking to you? You start talking to your kids before they were ever born. Come on, how many people have been talking to people's stomachs lately? Yeah, we speak over them, we pray over them, we tell them they're the most beautiful kid in the world. We tell them God has his hand on them, the anointing of God is on them, and we just dump out all that on them. Man, y'all are praying about children you hadn't even conceived yet, and you're already talking to them. And people think, this is crazy? Come on. I mean, really? We're talking to them, talking to them, talking to them. Why? We're speaking into the atmosphere. We're decreeing over them the words of Almighty God. And then once they're born, we keep talking to them. And we use all kinds of words. And some of us use baby talk. And some people just, oh my gosh, talk to them like they actually understand what you're saying. And they just look at you and go, <laughs> and so then we, we hear something and we go running down the street and we pick up the phone or we send an email. We go, oh my gosh, my kid said daddy. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Sure he did. Uh-huh. That's good. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Now, parents and grandparents have incredible, you know, tongues and interpretation. Parents and grandparents have the gift of interpretation like you've never seen. I promise. And if you don't believe it, just watch what they say about their kids and grandkids. <gasps> oh, my goodness. They're already using complete sentences. And you listen to them and you go, complete what? I hear complete confusion. I don't get it. 
How do children learn the language? They listen to you. How do we learn heaven's language? We have to be intimate and listen to God. We have to mimic God. And it may sound foolish to outsiders. Oh, but it's not foolish to mom and dad. So, shall we dig a little more? What language did Adam speak? And where did he learn it? Isn't that good? I preached the whole message on just this. What language did Adam speak? He spoke God's language, and how did he learn it? He mimicked God. Oh, my gosh. Just like your kids mimic you. He mimicked God. He spoke, and then something actually awful happened. Adam and Eve sold out to the enemy of heaven in that pure, beautiful, God-breathed language got all twisted and began to use, be used for things like murder and slander. And, <clears throat> of course, not anybody in here. It's almost noon, guys, I promise. Okay, so what happened to the language? We perverted it. And it got so bad. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of them, read it in Genesis 11, all of them, let us confound their language. Let us, plural. They all went down to the Tower of Babel to see what was going on because it was evil. And we took the language of heaven and we twisted it. And God said, no, 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 no. Because if our language was aligned together, what did God say? Nothing will be impossible to them. And what were we doing? Evil. No evil would have been possible. Impossible. You know, the book of James says, no one can tame the tongue. Go ahead and try. How successful? Anybody in here been successful? No one can tame the tongue. Right? No one. He said it's a small part of the body, but it boasts great things. Merry Christmas, y'all. Everybody turn and say Merry Christmas. Now, this is, come on, we love y'all. No, come on. I, I, look, every, everybody wants to turn around and say we love you and Merry Christmas. So we're saying we love you and Merry Christmas. Come on, isn't it easier to send love that way rather than everybody pretend like we're not looking when really we are looking? I'm just trying to help us all not be hypocrites. Merry Christmas, y'all. We love you. See? That's pretty painless. Okay. So, the tongue is a small part of the body. Listen closely. James 3. Five and six. The tongue is a fire, and the world of iniquity, and the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, sets on course the course, sets on fire the course of our lives, and is set on fire by hell. And I want you to know if I preached like that, I would not be invited back. James didn't have any problem. James was Jesus' half-brother, right? So what happened to the disciples in the upper room? 
the fire of God fell. You know when the flood happens? We talked about this last week. You know when the flood happens? When the windows of heaven are open and the fountains of the deep are broken up at the same time. Right? The fire fell. And God gave the language of heaven back. I need to say that again. The fire of God fell. And God gave the languages of heaven back to the church. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I don't understand that language. I, I, I don't understand it. Good. You've never cursed in it. You've never sworn in it. You've never gossiped in it. You've never said anything bad about anybody. Paul says you're speaking the mysteries of heaven. Well, why does God do it this way? Well, one of the reasons is before creation, how did God create? He spoke. Who is Jesus? He is the living word. And the scriptures were written as Holy Spirit moved on people and gave them powerful words. But why tongues? Why not something else? I mean, it's just so confusing. You know, there was a time I sat in organic chemistry. <laughs> or worse yet, med school. Oh, my gosh. And everything they said that whole class was total confusion to me. <laughs> I promise. It made no sense at all. I was totally confused. I'd get up and walk out and go, oh, my gosh, I don't understand that. They must be wrong. That can't possibly be real medicine. No. It was hard. I had to learn. I had to humble myself. I had to be willing to hear things I'd never heard before. And when I did, something happened in those 100,000 years of torture. I started to think like a doctor because I humbled my heart. That's exactly what God does with us. He wants us to be given over so that the spirit of the glorified Jesus can take over and pray through us, speak the mysteries of heaven through us. Now, the reality is, if I got up here and I had a message for you guys in tongues, then as I'm speaking to you, I would give you that message, and then the Holy Spirit would interpret it. Why? Porque yo no hablo español a ustedes. The same reason I don't speak Spanish to you. Oh, my God. She was talking in tongues. Yes. Habla espanol poquito. Just enough to get me in trouble. Okay? What is God saying? Let go of your arrogance. Let go of our pride. Let him take over. This little member that causes us more trouble. How many of us have longed to pull our words back? How many of us have wished we had better things to say? How many of us have said, oh, Father, I'd love to pray, but I don't know what to say? How many of us? <sighs> now, can I have three more minutes? How come we're so far? How do we get so far from the church, the first century church? How did we get this far? We got this far from the real body of Christ with all the gifts flowing and 
all, everyone bringing a word, bringing a song, bringing a, something to give, we got this far away because of Constantine, who reigned from 306 to 337, because what we are taught is that Constantine legalized Christianity, but really that's not what he did. Constantine's whole goal was to create a one-world religion. Sound familiar? And he just merged everything together. And when he did, he banned all the gifts of the Spirit and would not allow believers to operate in any of them. The ecclesia quit functioning. It wasn't groups coming together with if they had had one with a microphone, where has God given you a word? Come share it. Has God given you a song? Come give it. You know how they set up the church? Oh, gee. Just like the pagan temples where there was a priest up front performing and everybody sat there and observed. Sound familiar? 1,700 years ago, the church sold out the gifts, the anointing, the transformation, the transfiguration. So we wouldn't be burned at the stake or crucified or stoned or have our houses burned down around us <sighs> because it was easier. And the call of God today is come back. Come back. Come back and let Holy Spirit take up residence in us. God himself invites us to go beyond the Mount of Transfiguration, which could be renamed the Mount of Observation because nobody was really transformed except Jesus himself. For us to be heteros, different, we must receive the full glory of Jesus' other self that displays the glorified Jesus inside of us. We are called to receive the breath of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus. And the invitation is, will you allow your vessel to be completely submerged? How humble, how low will we go? You see, every gift I can brag about. If I said to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're all going to work miracles. Man, everybody would be in line and we'd be on our, we'd leave here and go to Home Depot. I mean, excuse me, Office Depot and get our business cards printed. But the reality is we can brag about miracles. We can brag about interpretation. We can brag about word of wisdom, word of knowledge. We, all that stuff we think we have something to do with. But praying in an unknown language... I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is of a humble and a contrite spirit. Of course, he did it this way. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And he will be glorified. As John said, I baptize you with water. But he who is coming is mightier than I.
that I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you in Holy Spirit and fire. Let's stand to our feet. The Lord wants us to be truly transfigured ourselves, not to always be talking about what was, to literally bear in our very lives the manifested presence and the glory of God. Or as Mama Ward would say, he wants you to have the goods. He wants you to really have the goods. And so, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we bless every person within the sound of our voice today, and we humble our hearts to you, and we say whatever you want to do, we are willing and surrendered for you to be glorified. So what we're going to do today is we're available to pray. And I don't care what you need. I don't care if you need healing. I don't care if you need anointing. I don't care if you need more freedom in Holy Spirit. I don't care if you want to be drenched in Holy Spirit. I don't care if you want to lay flat on your face on the floor. But we're going to take some time today and give everyone an opportunity to truly encounter the glorified Jesus for yourself so that you don't always have to simply say it happened back then. For those of you that need to go, we release you and we say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. That's the face of the glorified Jesus. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So would our prayer team come and anyone has <laughs> let him that is a thirst say come. So anyone who wants prayer for anything, y'all come. Y'all come and let give yourself the opportunity to be drenched. And those of you that need to leave, you are dismissed.